Hey folks, it's your loyal host Joseph Noop here, and as always, I'm really glad you're here with me. Real quick, I'm at the Game Developers Conference all week in beautiful San Francisco, so if you're a fan of the show and you see me around, please say hi. I've got a new profile pic up on Twitter with my mug on it instead of the old cartoon me for the folks who haven't yet realized I'm way less handsome than Josiah. I'll be attempting to post some smaller mini-episodes throughout the week with developers big and small, so stay tuned for those. And if you're at GDC, I'd love to talk to you about the issues that are on your mind as a game developer or just someone working in or around video games. Alright, enough from me, here's the show with Cassidy Moser. gentlemen, you know her as IGN's social editor, a wannabe X-Wing pilot, Carol Danvers' official hype woman, and if I may say so myself, my games journalism big sister, Cassidy Moser. Hi, how are you? Hello, Joseph. That was a very good read of my Twitter bio. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have you have been Carol Danvers' official hype woman, and I, I was actually reflecting earlier today, I first met you uh, PAX West 2016. I, I met you in person then. I think we had known each other on Twitter for a little while. But of course, no one, no, nothing is real on Twitter. Uh, but every- Was that really the first time we met in person? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, Michael oh. Martin introduced us and he he knew where to find you, I guess. And then we uh, we hung out in the brisk Seattle cold and got sushi or something. I got fries like uh, cooked in fish oil, which was very tasty. That sounds great. But that's my Chicago. Yeah, that sounds talking. right. That sounds right. I don't know why I'm thinking it was earlier than that, but yeah, we have met in person. <laughs> the most special of bonds. Absolutely. So today we are here to talk about two subjects near and dear to both our hearts. Captain Marvel, which of course just released in theaters and cruised successfully to $200 million uh, gross domestic and $600 million worldwide. So yay. And Star Wars. We're going to talk the top five Star Wars games, uh, at least of Cassidy's opinion here. And I imagine we'll have a fair bit of agreement, but who knows? You and I, we're, we're, we're not terribly far apart in age, so I think we've probably been exposed to most of the same things. But I think you are much more of a Star Wars game aficionado than I may be. I've got most of the kind of hits in my backlog, but uh, I think I'd be really got- interested to see what you say. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that because I think I have a weird list. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll leave the audience hanging there for just a second. Let's first talk about Captain Marvel. I saw the movie, I think, like, the Friday it came out. So, uh, And you probably saw it exactly that same first weekend, huh? Yeah, I saw it the... They've been doing that like opening night thing where it's actually just Thursday night. You know, I appreciate that because I'm getting older and I think the first time I realized that like midnight reveals are a a pile of trash is when I like was dragged to uh, Hunger Games part two or something. And oh, that movie wasn't terrible. No, no, but the crowd was. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah. See, uh, that's the thing. Like I... The opening night crowds I actually really enjoy for movies that I'm oh, really me looking too. forward to. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I think The Force Awakens was one of my favorite movie-going experiences Heck ever. Because yeah. I went to, like, the very first opening um, at the local theater. And, like, I think everybody's just so jazzed that there's a little bit of... It's a little more permissive to, like, react vocally. Mm-hmm. In a way that I think, like, a lot of movie experiences sort of shame so it's it's kind of fun it's like an event and you see people who like normally may not yeah like it's more allowed to be boisterous and cheer and clap and i remember when avengers came out i saw that opening night and uh i happened to be sitting next to a bunch of old ladies on my right and they were hooping and hollering like nobody's business and i'm like i love this yes bring us Mm -hmm. together uh, and then with Star Wars Force Awakens, I actually, that was right as I was ending my Game Informer internship in late 2015. And I basically took it upon myself to save everybody's spot in line, uh, including uh, not Andy McNamara, Andrew Reiner, uh, who is the world's biggest Star Wars fan. And I'll never forget walking out of the movie. Everyone's buzzing. It was really good. We're all happy. Uh, he and his wife had come with us and like the rest of the Game Informer crew. And like Ben Hansen and Tim Turry turn around. And they're like, all right, Reiner, what, what did you think? You know, you're the official authority on all this. 
and he just smiles and he hugs his wife. <laughs> and he's like, yes, he approves. That was basically my reaction. I, I think, especially because like when we we when it was established that we would be having a female Jedi, yeah, I uh, I very excitedly walked outside and just like I think I like spiked my water bottle on the ground and like freaked my little brother out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, it's a girl this time. That's so cool. And he was just like, I'm never going to the movies with you again. <laughs> I was like, that's fair. Yeah. So with Captain Marvel, I feel like, uh, you know, it's it's another Marvel movie and those mm-hmm. have the, the potential to be big. And I think this one, similar to like Black Panther, uh, it, it was big in the way where you saw a, a segment of Marvel fans who have always been there, but they finally get a movie that feels really catered to them and, and just is presented from a very different perspective that uh, the, the let, let's just face it, Captain Marvel, a, a woman being the, prota- the main protagonist of a Marvel movie, is a big deal. And mm-hmm. we'll get into the details here, but I think overall I think they really nailed it, especially for like an origin film. Oh, I adored it. I like even as just an MCU movie, I, I felt like it took so many departures from other MCU origin films yeah. that made it feel fresh. Like it was, it was kind of a superhero movie, but it was also kind of like an alien sci-fi intrigue movie, and it it had action, but it used it very sparingly and to great effect. And I think it was actually stronger for that. Like it was. I saw it twice, um, it's opening weekend, and, like, I was honestly kind of surprised at how tight the script is, and how much setup and payoff it has, and it just feels very complete in a way that a lot of MCU movies don't necessarily. Yeah, and and I think that, like, to me it felt like, like a classic Doctor Who episode almost, just with kind of the, the, like, galaxy hopping and the, hey, here's multiple races of aliens kind of clashing against each other, and here's this, like, this third party kind of arbiter of them both and where does this go and my favorite thing about the movie was and of course you know if you haven't seen the movie yet guys spoilers obviously duh my favorite part was watching talos and the scroll turn from uh this this at first they struck me as like this really generic kind of marvel in cinematic universe bad guy clan uh really no different than like the chitari or whatever the dudes were in infinity war and and they had that cool hook of like yeah they can infiltrate a planet by imitating anybody but that's also like a thing we have seen in sci-fi films you're it's cool but you're not necessarily breaking new ground but to have them turn that on its head and say no we're actually we're refugees we're uh we're the ones who you should be sympathetic towards, even though we've, you know, committed some wrongs ourselves. Uh, we're just trying to find a place to call home. And I really loved where they went with that. Especially because it had never really been, that's not something that they've experimented with in the MCU before. So it like genuinely got me. Like I thought that was a really interesting twist when they did that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's sold off of like Ben Mendelsohn's acting, you know, at first he is this like very generic, uh, sort of suave, sort of dorky, mcu villain uh he's just barely different enough from his minions that like it makes a difference uh i thought he was better than ronan the accuser this time around uh (laughs) like i did nothing he just literally stood on a ship yeah it it, 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 like retroactively makes ronan less intimidating in the first guardians of the galaxy and he wasn't that intimidating to begin with there no so the coolest thing of course is i so i when i saw the movie i sat next to i think on my left was like a teenage couple like on their first date clearly because the guy asked like hey can i hold your hand is like oh she said yes no and uh (laughs) uh, on my right was like a mom and then what had to have been like a five-year-old girl her daughter and at some point i tweeted out about this and i can't remember the exact thing she said but she was like heck yeah girl power like as the credits roll and mom's kind of oh, mom's kind of like mom's kind of like goading her on like wasn't that cool to see captain marvel kick so much butt yeah and uh i was just like oh god god this is oh this is making so many new fans and i love it so that shit gets me every oh, single time every, damn time. every every single time what do you think uh and it, was, it got me with star wars uh force awakens you know as as episode eight came out you saw little girls dressed up as uh, Ray and whatnot. But what do you think? Oh, yeah. Why does Captain Marvel matter to fans in that way? So Captain Marvel is kind of an interesting one. If you're talking like people who are new to her and don't 
necessarily know who she is. I think she's revolutionary because she's very clearly, like, the most powerful hero in the MCU. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, by a long shot. (laughs) You know, they, they, I think the fight that she has with the uh, Kree Star Force people, like, at the end, is just extremely... It's very well done in how flippant she is. Like, I, I think one of my favorite parts of the movie is when the one guy lands on her back with his gun drawn on her. It's like, don't make me do this. And she's like, all right. The, yeah. <laughs> and just like, just rockets backwards and just totally takes him out. Um, yeah, like, I think that kind of thing, I think it's very similar to Wonder Woman with the No Man's, no Man's Land scene, where it's just kind of like, oh, she's like basically impenetrable. And that's such a departure from everything that we normally see in superhero films. Um, like, if you look at even, like, the, you know, the scant female characters in the MCU itself, like, they get moments, but for the most part, they don't get to be as big and heroic as, as the dudes usually do. You know, Scarlet Witch gets to have her cool, you know, maybe one or two scenes where she, mm-hmm. she does something real magical and cool looking, but then we, we kind of just sinks to the background we keep getting told that like scarlet witch is some sort of omnipotent like captain marvel level being and then it just never pans out in a really satisfying way and then of course black widow is there shooting her her pistol uh but it it never seems affecting much in the long run well and frankly a lot of their screen time is taken up with their relationships with the men in the mcu which like i'm yawning so hard um like that stuff's fine but man like infinity war just felt riddled with it in a way that i was like this is so boring Mm -hmm. and i don't care about this couple at all like the hulk black widow thing is still the funniest thing to me because i'm like this is so forced and terrible i guess i guess the only exception to that was um i i forget her character's name but uh uh black panther's uh uh companion not uh yeah but even then she didn't get much she really did yeah and like i really liked her yeah I think the only woman in the MCU who gets to have both a romantic arc and gets to be really cool is Peggy Carter. And yeah. That's, you know, she also had her own TV show, so that's like kind of different. And, um, and cut short in a way, too. <laughs> yeah, it's still excellent, though, if you can catch that show anywhere. Um, but, uh, like, I, I think that's a big part of it, is just, like, female representation in the MCU is, frankly, not great. It's it's It has gotten better. I think it was very good in Black Panther. I, I really loved... Mm-hmm. You know, I think Shuri was just a breath of fresh air in so many different ways. Um, and obviously, like, Okoye is really cool, and they both get really cool moments. But again, it's all in service of another person's story. And with Captain Marvel, it's not. And there is no romantic st- subplot. It is purely a message about a woman learning to harness her own power and stop living by other people's rules. And that is extremely powerful. And it's it's kind of revolutionary for a superhero film, too. I think I think Captain Marvel really illustrates that, like you said, during those scenes where someone will like put their boot to her back and say, like, you know, don't make me do this. And she instead of instead of really like coming up with a one liner, she's like, "Okay, yeah. And then, you know, flips them on their back and puts them in their place. And uh, the the ultimate scene kind of for that was the you know uh when her commander uh jude jude law was saying you know come on prove it to me uh no powers no nothing prove that this is your moment you have to fight this way he's like setting up all the the rules and he's like this is how you prove yourself and be valid and yeah like just that refutation where she just blasts him and then very calmly just walks up to him and just goes i have nothing to prove to you was just like it was an incredible moment that I cannot stop thinking about because it is hashtag relatable. <laughs> um, you know, like it, it's very frequent for women to have to prove themselves by someone else's arbitrary rules. And so for her to just be like, no, like I know how fucking powerful I am. Like I, enough. I don't have to prove that to you anymore. Um, like it, that's just such an incredible and like revolutionary moment in the MCU and like just in action movies in general. And I think there, to, to me, in a weird way, this that scene spoke to me because uh, whether it's in like games media or l- literally any industry, there is an element of uh, a male will maybe take uh, someone under their wing, uh, a, a younger woman under their wing and say like, you know, hey, I'm going to do my best. And maybe it's out of noble effort, but 
subconsciously a lot of men can kind of put different limitations or expectations on their uh, female you know students or whatever you want to uh, disciples or whatever uh, then they would put on their male students and that's something that I've had to like contend with too I've I've literally mentored a number of both uh, men and women uh, younger than me kind of coming out of the ball state system and and just in games journalism and I've had to like retroactively like go back and look and like, okay, did I treat her with like the same level of, of dignity and respect and, and, you know, uh, expectations as I would have for like just a, an average guy reaching out to me. And I think that mm-hmm. that, that gave me a lot to think about. Yeah. I, I think that's, an, that's a very good and important point. I, I also think that there's a level of, two-way street to it as well like if somebody is there was a lot of what i read as like emotional abuse and manipulation Mm -hmm. on uh, the part of captain marvel like that she was having to deal with um and you you do kind of have to buy into that stuff in order for it to affect you and i mean that's typically not a conscious choice that's just like we see power structures and we are conditioned to know how to react to them so if somebody who is technically your superior you know, is telling you how how you need to act and what you need to do in order to get to their level, then you kind of, you know, our reaction is to take that point blank and just be like, well, this is what it is. So I this is the, the level and the standard that I have to meet. And that does put limitations on yourself. And I think that's really clearly illustrated in the, the arguably second best, if not also best <laughs> scene where she just looks at the uh the supreme intelligence and is just like i've been fighting with one hand tied behind my back and that's that was something too that i think about a lot too and and i think that obviously these things go for both men and women but women especially like when you're told like you're lesser or you're weaker or you're not as smart or you don't have as many opportunities you do tend to buy into it that that kind of tends to be the reaction because it's like well this is my reality i guess and you do find yourself holding yourself back in some ways and so that was really striking to me too it's jude law's character saying like hey meet me on my level and yet captain marvel has been conditioned to to believe that she's supposed to be at that level too when in fact you know as soon as she takes off that like inhibitor thing she is just so far above and beyond almost any other living being in the universe that, you know, why, why should I have to justify, uh, you know, putting myself down to your level? I don't have anything to prove to you kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, it just, you know, and it's something that I've actually post watching that movie have kind of thought about in my own life. Just like, what are the ways that I kind of hold myself back? Like, what are Mm -hmm. things that I do because I've absolutely caught myself doing this before where it's like, oh, I purposefully didn't do as well at this as I knew I could have because I didn't want to make someone else uncomfortable or I protected someone else's feelings over my own or things like that. Like, that's that's so frequent. And I think it does apply to both men and women, obviously, because we're all human beings. But especially just from a societal standpoint, like, I think it affects women on a deeper level. So it's, yeah, I just thought it was very significant. No, yeah. And and one thing that I also thought was really striking was the way that the relationship between Carol Danvers and I'm going to, I can't remember exactly how to pronounce it. Was it Rambo, um, the African-American? Oh, Maria. Maria. Mm-hmm. Uh, the relationship that they had, I thought, was illustrated in a very, uh, a, a less male gazy kind of way. And oh, totally. uh, for the better, ultimately, because there's there's the give and take of what a real friendship would seem like, I thought. Yeah, I like I mean, the entire movie was very absent of male gaze, which if people are not familiar with that, that's basically just like framing and presentation being made in a way that would be assumed to be enjoyed specifically by straight dudes. A really a really good um, example of that is actually at the ends of Captain Marvel. I believe that like final scene was filmed by uh oh that, that well that was that's from that that the scene where Captain Marvel meets the Avengers and says like hey where's Fury cut to black uh that probably is filmed by the Rousseau brothers and Captain Marvel has like makeup on and she's done up, <laughs> she's done up in a really uh like hey look i may be like battling dudes and you know flying through explosions on a daily basis but like i still have time to do my hair kind of thing 
Uh, yeah, a good example of like male gaze would be like boob windows. Boob windows <laughs> on, uh, on, on armor, yeah. costumes. Yeah, yeah, like and you know that that gets into weird complex territory where it's like obviously a female character should be allowed to wear whatever she wants mm-hmm. and not be like dictated by some arbitrary thing. But it's just kind of you know what's the purpose of this? Who is this in service mm-hmm. of? Like that's kind of the question you have to ask. But ultimately, yeah, like this movie was kind of devoid of that. Um, and the friendship between those two I thought was just great. Like, it was really adorable. Um, and it's really cool to see that many people of color, like, in, in big leading roles mm-hmm. and getting really cool moments. Um, like, that was really awesome. And, you know, obviously they're still kind of, you know, Maria was still a, a secondary character, so, like, it'd be really nice to see, like, a woman of color who gets to take the, the spotlight in, in one of these future movies. Um... But seeing those two and watching how women in particular shaped Carol's life is really cool. It also didn't feel like she served a a subservient role, um, which is something that a lot of uh, people of color can uh, unfortunately end up in in major films. Her her relationship with Carol and then like the actions she takes to kind of help save the day. uh, It's clearly something that's like based on her her particular skill set, you know, she she takes charge of the situation when uh, she has to. And it doesn't feel like she's, you know, either self-sacrificing for Carol or uh, just self-sacrificing for the purpose of, like, moving the plot forward. Mm-mm. No, I, I get the sense that Maria is just a very, like, duty-driven person. And, and I really respect that. Especially, you know, like, her relationship with her daughter is really cute and, like... The way that all three of them interact was just like such a, it's just such a. a I'm sorry, I got catch up on it. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I thought the kid was pretty cute. Uh, it, it it kind of really made me think like, oh, that is a kid actor through and through because she is like reading those lines with like just the cutest little girl voice she possibly can, but it works and it it'll also like make all the young girls in the audience just like go bananas saying like, you know, I could be Captain Marvel's best friend and like determine her armor color and everything too it was also pulled straight from the comics which i thought was really cute um they they did tweak it a little bit so it's not uh in the comics it's actually monica is her friend and uh uh, she doesn't uh, as far as i have if i recall correctly anyway she doesn't have a daughter it's uh actually one of her neighbors in her apartment complex has a kid that she hangs out with called lieutenant danger and it's really cute um, like her interactions with, with the little girl are like some of my very favorite in the comics because they tend to be very quiet, but I think they just speak to Carol's character as a person like so well. Do you, uh, do you think the film fell short in any way? For me, it was mostly about like some of the action choreography was a little dull. And I think that might've been because the directors, I, I looked it up super briefly, so I, I might get this wrong. Uh, they didn't have too much of like an action background. And uh, aside from that, there were only like a few moments where like the acting fell a little flat. Other than that, like the the general broad strokes of like, hey, here's Captain Marvel's story and like the the very pro feminist themes uh, I thought were basically knocked out of the park. I mean, I don't know if the action sequences were bad so much as like they just felt very standard. Mm-hmm. Like they were just as interesting as like an Iron Man fight. To yeah. Me. Um, I did think the end when she was kind of learning her powers as she went was kind of fun. And I, that, that's probably more speaking to Brie Larson's just ability to kind of convey that through her movements and stuff. But, um, yeah, like, I feel weird calling it like a feminist film because I don't think it is. I think it's just a movie that speaks extremely loudly to the experience of being a woman. Yeah. Like, you know, and at, at no point does it do so at the expense of anybody else either. It's just like, hey here's a really strong metaphor that like, if you know this and you've lived with this, you absolutely will connect with this. Um, and I think that's just a really strength of the writing, honestly. And yeah, you know, hearing you say that you're right. Uh, I think a lot of it, it has a lot of strength in, uh, you see two male characters, Talos and then Fury, uh, interacting with Captain Marvel in ultimately really positive ways. Um, you know, cooperating and, Fury, in a way, becomes a better mentor to Captain Marvel than uh, Jude Law's character ever did, even though, like, well, maybe less a mentor, but like an equal who is there to 
uh, build her up and like go on this journey with her and learn alongside her. And it, it didn't feel like he was ever talking down to her. That might've been because she has no. superpowers and could kill him with her fists, but no, I don't think that's it. I think, no? I think it's just that she calls him on his bullshit and does it in a way that he respects. <laughs> um, also good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's more what it is. I don't think it's that he's afraid of her. I think it's that he respects her. Um, it, it was funny. Cause I, I really, really adored Carol's character as an MCU character because it's, the MCU is full of just, like, quippy, sarcastic, mm -hmm. kind of cynical dudes, and then Captain America. Um, and Carol is, she is sarcastic, and she's witty, but she's also, she also has a sincerity to her that so many of the MCU heroes lack. And as I watched it the second time, I realized that she reminds me almost beat for beat of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, I think they have the same personality. <laughs> Where she is vulnerable, and she takes strength from her vulnerability when she learns to kind of harness it. But she also knows what she can do, and she's not really phased by just anybody, and she reaches a point where she's like, no, nah, I'm pretty self-assured. I don't, I don't need your approval. Tell me, uh, t tell me more about that, because Buffy is actually a big blind spot in my geek culture library. All right, well, it's all on Hulu, so pause this right now. <laughs> I'll see you in <laughs> three weeks. Up. Yeah, oh, it'll be longer than that. Um, no, so I actually got into Buffy the Vampire Slayer probably three or four years ago. I missed it when I was a kid. It just kind of, I don't know, just didn't fall into my radar. Um, and I probably wasn't allowed to watch it. It was probably too scary. Uh, yeah, Buffy is, I mean, that's a whole other podcast subject, but Buffy is excellent. It's one of the best TV shows of all time, um, obviously. I don't think that's a hot take. But... The reason that I really like Buffy and also Carol as a character is because they feel very human. Like, the the moment when Carol's just kind of dangling the lunchbox on her finger and is just like, hey guys, I'm wrestling you for the Tesseract, is, it's like, it's ripped straight from a Buffy episode. <laughs> like, that is absolutely something that Buffy would do. Like, just kind of not making light of a situation, but definitely putting her own spin on it to put herself in a position of power over the people that she's fighting. Mm -hmm. Like, that is completely within her character. And I think it's interesting. Like, I think it's it's kind of cool. And it it also, she does it in a way that's not asshole-ish. It's just sort of cheeky and kind of quirky. And I think that's kind of fun. But again, she's also sincere. Like, when was the last time you saw another one of the MCU characters you know male or female like actually laughing you know because there are moments where carol's like just laughing and she's hanging out with her friends yeah. and she's she's being fun and like she has that very subtle smile that she does whenever she's kind of teasing nick like the the moment when they're in the car talking about you know how he goes by the name fury and nobody calls him anything else but that like she starts teasing him because she knows that it's ridiculous and he kind of does too. And it's really fun to watch them do that because she's not making fun of him so much as she's just kind of being like, she's it's, it's teasing, you know? And I think there's a difference between teasing and making fun of. It, it is the sardonic humor has become like really synonymous with the like last 10 Marvel films. And, and before that they, they have had that like sarcastic bro -y sense of humor and, uh, you you do see characters cracking jokes at one another or like at, at villains or, or uh, lackeys, but it's always, it's not like ha 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 or even like tee hee kind of laughing. It's just like, ha, you got him kind of uh, joking around. And yeah, that that's a very good point that we took like a literal moment just driving in the desert to show Carol Danvers being human, which is what she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the part where she's she and Fury are trying to figure out if they're you know if they're both scrolls, <laughs> and he just goes, "If toast is cut diagonally, I can't eat it." Yeah, and then she's just like, "You didn't need to know that, did you?" She's like, "No, but I enjoyed it." <laughs> like that's again, that's like that's such a it's such a Buffy moment, and like the dynamic between those two reminds me a lot of like Buffy and Giles, um, which I'm speaking purely to people who have watched Buffy at this point, but. Um, Giles is her handler. He's, like, the guy that is assigned to help her, like, chase down demons and vampires and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of like Nick, um, where he, when he takes on Buffy, I believe she is the first Slayer that he's ever mentored. So he's kind of just as new to it as she is. 
and it makes for a really cool dynamic between them because Giles is trying to be kind of an authority, but he also has like very little experience to draw on to establish himself as such. Um, whereas Buffy knows that she could like you know rip somebody in half if she wanted to, and nobody could stop her. But she needs him, and she needs his intellect, and also just his support in order to do what she's supposed to do. And I think you kind of see a similar dynamic between Carol and and Fury, where it's, you know, Fury's still pretty new to this. Mm -hmm. Like, this is before he's ever met, like, a metahuman or anything like that. And, you know, he's meeting this woman for the first time who literally fell from space, and he's doing his best to kind of go about it, but you see him, like, taking orders and doing stuff that is very un-Fury, because he's kind of a renegade when it comes to this. And, at least in the later films that we've seen. Um, So you kind of get the sense that he's pretty new to this, too. And so he's trying to put on airs, like, he knows exactly what's going on, and he can be the the authority here. And I think Carol sort of picks up on, like, "Eh, he's still kind of green. And and she knows that, but she also respects him because she knows that she needs him, and she needs his backup and support. And so what it breeds is just kind of this really sweet mutual bond of, of respect, and I, I just, I really adore that dynamic. Mm. And I think it works so well. No, yeah, I, I really loved the way that they, they worked as partners. And uh, at no point did it feel like, you know, there wasn't a, a pointless kind of romantic subplot or even like winking yeah. towards that. And we, we didn't diminish any character for the other's advancement. I, no. I got to No, I think they both got equal time. And it was really yeah. sweet. Anyway. So uh, we'll do last question here for Captain Marvel before jumping into Star Wars stuff. We got to talk about Mother Flurk and Goose. I am so proud of him. He's such I a good Goose boy. I love him so much. I love him so much. So that's that's also pulled straight from the comics. Mm-hmm. And I, I was really excited to see them do that because I wasn't sure if they were going to keep that in this time. Um yeah, I mean, it's Goose. Like, Goose is adorable, and I love cats. And I also was reading an article yesterday that said the cats were very scared of the people when they were done up as scrolls. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus. that just made me really happy to read. <laughs> um, and also, uh, Brie Larson was deathly allergic to cats. Oh, so, no. no. So that's why she she only, like, touches him in one scene, and the rest of the time it's just Nick. Good point. There's yeah. also... There's also, like, a really cute angle to Goose that kind of brings Nick Fury down a little bit. Like, it, it like, I think that movie, like, does some really interesting things with, with questioning, like, masculinity. And, you know, like, obviously you see Fury's just, like, sitting there talking to this cat, just being like, oh, look at mm-hmm. you. <laughs> and, I, like, I just thought that was so cute. Um, yeah, I, there is one scene that I am absolutely dying to see in, in the Endgame, and that's it's pulled straight from the comics and it's one of the first times that Captain Marvel meets Rocket Raccoon and her cat is with her and Rocket immediately pulls out like a rocket launcher and starts trying to shoot yeah. it and kill it. And she's like, this is before she knows that, that her cat's an alien too, I believe. And she's just like, stop trying to kill my cat. And he's like, that's not a cat, that's a flirting. Yeah. And then she's like, you're a raccoon. And he's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and it is it is so funny. And I really, really hope that we get that scene in Endgame. They, uh... Uh, Goose was revealed as a flurkin to pretty much everyone, including Captain Marvel in the movie, right? Because, like, twice uh, Goose, like, let out the tentacles. I don't think she uh, did saw she, it, I, she may not have seen it now that I think about it. Yeah, it might just be a, a charming cat. Cause, and she also she also hasn't hung out with Goose, uh, you know, years after the fact now because he's been hanging out with Fury ostensibly. Uh, <laughs> no, I, Remember when they did an entire end credits sequence that was just a cat barfing on a desk? Yeah. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Oh, uh, I was I was just so happy that Goose like got proper due in the movie. My partner is very obsessed with cats, and uh, Goose was really fun. And Goose yeah. Goose is just a fun character. So, all right, let's take a break there, and we'll come back with Star Wars top five games. Okay, folks, and we're back, and we're going to be talking the top five Star Wars games, I think, ever. Uh, Cassidy, when did you start playing Star Wars video games? I think the earliest one that I can remember playing is Super Star Wars Mm. for the SNES. But I didn't own an SNES, so this was just me literally playing it at some, Mm -hmm. some random person's house. I think this was, like, one of those cases where 
your parents take you to dinner at one of their friends' houses and they have a kid, mm -hmm. but that kid has a SNES, and so you don't really care about the kid, you just care about the SNES. I think it was one of those situations. Otherwise, um, we had a copy of Shadows of the Empire for the Nintendo 64 oh, that I played obsessively. Me as too. A child. Yep. That, uh, so I th th think that's. Shadow of the Empire did the uh, the train sequence well before uh, Uncharted ever did. <laughs> Let's not talk about it yet because it's on my list. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I guess we'll start <laughs> off with number five. And Cassidy, what are we rolling with? Uh, so I have a, I just, warning, I have a very weird list. Um, hey, KOTOR is not for. on here. Jedi Knight is not on here. <laughs> uh, Battlefront is not on here. Um because, uh, for two reasons, I did not play a lot of PC games, uh, as a kid or now as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I never finished playing KOTOR, uh, so I need to. It's on my to-do list. I have it on my iPad. It's just a matter of me sitting down and doing it. Anyway, uh, so I would put at number five, The Force Unleashed. The Force Unleashed is playable fanfiction, and it's stupid, and I love it. It really does feel like a fanfic. You know, what What if Darth Vader took on me as an apprentice, and I just got to be, like, my badass 14-year-old emo self? It is absolutely ridiculous, and, and I love it for that. Um, so, <laughs> this is weird. I only played the PSP version. I never played the one on the console. Uh PSP version, as far as I can remember, I haven't busted it out in a while, but uh, as far back as I can remember, it was actually pretty good. And that was a game that I, like, 100%ed. I went and I found all the different lightsaber colors, and I did all the missions, mm -hmm. and I played it, I think I played it through, like, twice. Um, yeah, that game's just really fun. It, it's, I don't think it's a great game. I think the story's pretty dumb, but it, you feel like a Jedi, man. You, you just, the... It's so good. I think it's like one of the best cells of the power fantasy of being a Jedi. Cause yes. like there, there have been numerous uh, games about being a Jedi before uh, force unleashed and none, like you were either just kind of aimlessly whacking somebody with a stick uh, and even battlefront, even, even the old and modern battlefront games don't do being a Jedi, a lot of justice. You're yeah. still like, you're still hitting NPCs or other players with a stick and the force powers are, are a little cool, but a little janky force unleash man dragging that uh, star destroyer out of the sky <laughs> and like crunching the face of an ATST. You you're just like, holy sh Oh, okay. So this is why the Jedi were a, a feared power to reckon with. Yeah. And oh, a Sith great. too, of course. It was great. And like, it has a really dumb twist at the end where it's like, turns out Starkiller <laughs> helped form the rebellion. It's like, and okay. that's how Einstein was born. Yes. Oh man. And then it just got even worse in the force unleashed too. And it turns out that Starkiller was a clone. It's just like, that's, this is terrible. <laughs> but I, I, again though, like I honestly love it. I, I am such a sucker for just like fan star Wars garbage, like old canon stuff. And this is just, it's just that, like, it's just playable fanfic mm -hmm. and it looks, it looks like a Star Wars game. It feels like a Star Wars game and it's just, it's just fun. What went through your head during that, uh, ripping a Star Destroyer out of the sky scene? Oh, it was cool. I was just like, well, this is fucking great. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it's something that you've never seen before and you get to do it in a Star Wars game as this like new weird character that you've never heard of. That's awesome. I think like even even though like Star Wars Force Unleashed came out probably like early to midway through uh, like the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 life. Uh, but I remember it was like one of the first big examples of the scope and like the size of what you could do in a game really changing. And like I'm sure there were like plenty of smoke and mirrors tricks to that scene. You know, you're not really pulling it. It's more of like a like a skybox kind of moving in front of you as you tap the the quick time event buttons in the right order. Uh, but just to see it like slowly get ripped from the skybox to like actually being right in front of your face, that, that yeah. was just such a seminal moment. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's dumb fanfic -y stuff and mm -hmm. I love it. Like it's so much fun. What, uh, what is number four on the star Wars games list? Number four is episode one pod racer on the Nintendo Hell 64. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hell yeah, I got that on my list. <laughs> Which is still one of the very best racing games ever made. I will fight anybody. It will not be taking questions. Thank you. That's that's just <laughs> it's so fun. It so Podracer is extremely limited. Like it I I don't remember the specifics of it because this was literally like over twenty years ago, but I think it it only had like six tracks or something. And it only had a handful of racers that you could choose between, but it was, like, mm -hmm. basically all the ones that you saw in the pod racing scene from episode one. And it just felt really good. It was really fun, and it was just a game that I could not stop playing. It had multiplayer, which was a blast. It, it felt different enough from, like, the kart racers of the time. And it also was just, like, a way to... I really miss, like, tie-in license games like that that weren't free-to-play garbage. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it just takes this little slice of the movie and it makes it, like, its whole experience. And that's really cool. And you also got to go to different planets. Like, I remember there was, like, a Mustafar track, and so it wasn't just Tatooine, which was really neat. I, you know, it it also, like you mentioned, it wasn't like a lot of the kart racers of that time. And it feels like, in a sense, there well, there were no power-ups, if I remember correctly, but it felt like the tracks themselves were a little more alive to kind of compensate for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you could fall off platforms and you could push people out of the way. You could be a total dick like, like Sebulba mm -hmm. uh, and just shove somebody out of the way and crash them and have them respawn or something. And you know what, you know what Star Wars games do really well? Not just Podracer, but stuff like, like um, uh, Rogue Squadron. Uh, engines the star wars universe does like the sound of an engine mm -hmm. really well mm -hmm. and you know that that speaks to like the the magic of uh you know lucas arts and and all the various workers behind the films probably just lifting a lot of that that audio and implementing it into the game but man every almost every star wars game if there's a vehicle involved, it feels like the actual lumbering, hulking piece of machinery it really is. There's also, uh, they do a really good job with, I don't know if you would call it motion blur on the Nintendo 64, but uh, <laughs> but like it feels like you're moving very quickly. Like it has mm -hmm. a very nice, the, the, the like feedback, like the, the actual like feel of that game is really, really nice and really fun. And I, I remember, yeah, spending a lot of time with it, too, and being able to kind of replay the race from episode one, the, the movie, mm -hmm. uh, kind of threading those needles and pretending like I was actually Anakin. Uh, you know, the game seemed to be so popular, I wouldn't be surprised if that played a major decision in them creating the, like, giant arcade game where you actually climbed into Anakin's racer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that mess. And w was that a mess? I feel, I feel like that game was the, very fun from my childhood memory. The Star Wars arcade games are really cool in concept, but I yeah. don't think they're great in execution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, the Battle Pod is alright. Like, it, it's pretty neat, but it's still kind of like, it, it's very much an arcade game. Well, I'm not talking Battle Pod. I, I know that. I actually haven't been able to do the Battle Pod, but, like, the Star Wars Pod Racer arcade game. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I don't know if I ever played that one. I remember there was a giant red button on the side for the boost, and, like, I think you could only use it a few times. Otherwise, that would be, like, totally broken, and you'd, like, easily, uh you know, get the lap uh, right. uh, checkpoints. But, uh, yeah. What is number three on your Star Wars games list? Number three is Disney Infinity 3.0. <laughs> 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 hey valid. valid so yeah stay with me on this r.i.p disney infinity <laughs> it was so good so disney infinity 3.0 is on this list because it is one of the very best character action games that we've ever seen for a star wars game um it feels really good there are skill trees the combat is really goofy and fun and it feels amazing i'm pretty sure it was like ninja theory that did the it was it was one of the ninja teams there's two different dev teams that are named ninja and it always throws me off and he's like yeah it was one of them um and it shows and it feels amazing but it also is very quirky it's a lot like the lego games where it's like here's this world that you're familiar with but it's kind of sanitized so that it's it's a little bit more fun and goofy mm -hmm. to run around in like it's very much geared toward like a younger audience but i think anybody can enjoy it um like, when you go to Tatooine, like, one of the things is to find all of the musicians that are in the cantina. So you, like, you go around and you, like, pick them up and carry them into the cantina. Play it again! Like, yeah, like, it's just goofy. And it's really fun. Um, and all the, all the figures kind of, are really cool, too. 
kind of speaks to like the original uh, merchandization of Star Wars where, you know, once the movies were over, of course, they'll sell you all the toys of like literally every character and like go out to your sandbox and, and do your thing as a kid. And uh, th- that's like that's every uh, game to toy kind of franchise. But Disney Infinity and, and subsequently the Star Wars stuff did it really remarkably. It's a, it's a match made in heaven, I think. Uh, like, it also is just something I look at and would just have lost my mind over when I was a kid. So that's probably part of why I really like it. But, yeah, and, like, the figures are really cool. Like, they, they all have a very consistent art style, and I think they're pretty high quality, and they're fun just to, like, display. What were uh, what, what were some of the things you could do in Disney Infinity with those characters? Uh, you can fly ships. Um, you can also... Like, a lot of it is just, like, discovering stuff. It, it mm. feels very much like a Banjo-Kazooie level where you get in there and it's like, there's collectibles, there's little side missions to do, there's, you know, little stormtroopers that are just kind of walking around that'll attack you if they see you. And so it's it's kind of one of those things where it's just, you explore. Like, you, you can climb up things and find little uh, little collectibles or little items you need for quests. And there are just little spots that you can visit, like you can go to Jabba's Palace, you can go to the Cantina, in the, I'm talking specifically the Tatooine, uh, the Tatooine level, because there are multiple. There's also like Coruscant is part of the uh, Clone Wars expansion, that's really fun, and that's just like a big city that you get to run around, and it actually feels pretty <laughs> lived in and kind of alive. Like that game, I think people slept on because Toys to Life sort of came and went. And it does look very kiddish, so I think it kind of bypassed people who are, you know, very serious and cultured gamers. Um, but it's really fun, and it's it's just, it's super cute, and it's kind of, it's not reduced, but it is a little bit watered down in a way that you can kind of just jump in, and it feels amazing to play, and you can just go crazy with it. I think that's like that's an ingredient of maybe some of the best Star Wars games is even if you aren't a super fan or even a moderate fan, you can jump in and you can get the idea of here's your hero archetypes, here's the like heroic kind of things you can do and go. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're playing uh, Pod Racer or like Rogue Squadron, you get the idea behind something like that and it's just a really fun coat of paint over all of the straightforward action stuff that you're used to yeah totally yeah. it's it's very fun and i i adore that game and you can probably find it for like five dollars now yeah. <laughs> um so it's i think it's completely worth picking up and uh what is number two on the star wars list number two is shadows of the empire on the nintendo 64 <laughs> hey. uh it's just one of my all-time favorite games and it's again just playable weird garbage fan fiction and it is so so reminiscent of the star wars canon of the 90s where basically anybody was allowed to just run wild with that that whole universe and like a lot of the novels in the expanded universe were just fanfics like Mm -hmm. some of them were just like trash quality and some of them were very good like the thrawn trilogy is you know universally seen as pretty good but like shadows of the empire like I, I actually read the book when I was a kid, and like I don't remember if it was good or not, but I remember just loving having new Star Wars content. Because mm-hmm. uh, this was probably a few years after I saw the original trilogy for the first time, because I saw it when I was like six, uh, and so it being able to kind of look and just be like, "Oh man, it's a completely new Star Wars story," and here's like all these really weird characters I've never heard of, like IG eighty eight, like he's creepy. I like that. Like I like this weird tin can droid boy um and yeah like you said like it it did that thing too where like every level was very different and it had a unique feel to it and there was a lot to explore and a lot of discoverability to them like uh finding the wampa in the hoth level is still one of the most terrifying things that that's one thing i want to say like the game i remember uh playing it maybe maybe at a friend's house that might have been like a i didn't own an n64 for a while uh, at least a few years into its life cycle, but playing it like with a friend or like renting it, I remember just being terrified of some of the levels and thinking like, "Oh, my child brain cannot comprehend like the the number of opportunities and possibilities I have here." Like, let me just hide out in my ship. Yeah, yeah, and like I I actually kind of liked walking around inside the ship. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I mean, you know what what Shadows of the Empire kind of feels like now that I think about it is like 
virtual play sets. <laughs> like, because <laughs> I remember I collected a lot of, like, the Power of the Force toys and stuff, and, like, you know, you'd have that friend that had the Millennium Falcon, and then you just look at it, and it's huge, and yeah. you can, you know, put your figures in it. But, like, Shadows of the Empire was basically that, but you could actually feel like you were in that place, because it was a video game. And uh, I think the rest of that game kind of felt like that, too, because you'd go to these different planets, and you'd be able to walk around these environments, and interact with known Star Wars characters, like, seeing Dash Rendar with Han Solo was really cool, and, you know, even though they're basically the same character, and Dash is just, like, <laughs> bargain bin Han Solo, um, as Jared Petty kindly calls him. Um, yeah, like, I... Shadows of the Empire is just a lot of fun, and I just remember having the most amazing time with it when I was a kid. I just thought it was so cool, and it was so awesome to be able to play this Star Wars story that I'd never seen before, and interact with all of these different characters, and also have these different challenges. Like, I remember the train level that you mentioned earlier was really hard when I was a kid, but it was really fun. And there was also, like, the level where you go into the sewer, and there's, like, all the weird spiders down there, and, like, that freaked me out, but I also liked it. <laughs> like... Fighting Boba Fett with the jetpack on Tatooine is really hard, but I also really, really enjoyed doing that and felt awesome when I finally won. And, yeah, like, I, I like, one of my earliest memories, like, of achieving anything in games is fighting the ATST inside the Hoth base. And, like, once I figured out, oh, you just go pick up the pulse grenades, or the pulse shot back behind that one block and then just load that in and then just go to town and hide and it can't reach you, like... I just felt like I was a hacker. <laughs> I was just like, I figured it out. Like, yeah, man. Um, it's really funny, too, because I started playing uh, Dark Forces 2 Jedi Knight pretty recently, and you can see the assets that those games shared. <laughs> and it's really, really weird to look at, but it's really cool, too, because it's kind of taken me back to it. You know, you raised a really good point earlier about uh, the the early EU stuff of Star Wars. A lot of it, as one might expect, was a bit trashy and a bit fanficy. And you you would have to remind me of like what the overall story of uh, Shadows of the Empire was. But yeah, the translating something like that. I think like most Star Wars games leading up to something like Shadows uh, were either like X Wing. Mm -hmm. Or, like, you were either a faceless person or you were a hero of the Star Wars universe. And here's Shadows of the Empire. You're doing heroic-y things, but, like, you're not Han Solo. You're not Luke Skywalker. You're not Vader. You're this, like, mid-tier person, like, on a everyman kind of adventure. I think they kind of did that with a lot of those games. Because uh, Kyle Katarn in the Jedi Knight games was kind of... <laughs> you know, knock off Luke Skywalker kind of, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in, in a lot of ways, all the way down to getting his lightsaber from his dad. <laughs> like, it's kind of ridiculous, but I think it's just a cool way to jump in with a character that we already kind of have an established knowledge of, because it's basically just a repeated archetype from someone else that we already know. Um, but it also just paves the way for slightly different stories that maybe you haven't seen in the original trilogy or you haven't read in the EU or seen in the comics or anything like that. Um, in terms of the story itself, I don't remember all the specifics. I actually, Max Scoville actually gave me the comic pretty recently, um, and I've been meaning to read it. I know that there's, like, a weird, like, like kind of Darth Vader stand-in named Prince Shizor, and he's, like... He takes somebody captive. I don't know. There's just a there's a generic yeah. bad guy, and yeah. like there's Dash Rendar, and he's just you know like this handsome knockoff Han Solo with the Outrider, which is still a very cool ship, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I love that game so much. <laughs> I have to go if they ever make like a like even a like a mid tier remaster of that. I might have to go. I I I gave my N sixty four to charity like years ago uh, at the at the request of my mom, and uh, I've been meaning to pick up one again and just going through that and old SNES games. But what is uh let's let's hit it off with what is number one on the Star Wars games list? So I should say right before I, I give you number one, 
all of these games were playable today. Shadows of the Empire and Pod Racer are both on Steam. And oh, that's right. Uh, Force Unleashed you can find for two dollars at your local GameStop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Disney Infinity. Uh, anyway, my number one favorite Star Wars game of all time is Star Wars Bounty Hunter on the PlayStation Two. <laughs> Good pick. Good pick. <laughs> Thank you. I, I don't know. know if it would have been my number one. I I, I remember that one had a, like a, a little bit of like some control and camera issues, but that is a good. That is a good game. It is. That game did open world, like, open world mechanics better than some open world games do today. Yeah. Like, it had an entire sequence on Coruscant Mm -hmm. where you can just walk up to somebody and look at what their name is, if if they have a bounty on their head for any kind of crime, anything like that. And you can, if they do, if they have a bounty, you can just, like, tie them up there and claim your bounty. Like, it's, it's very, it feels really alive in a way that, that, I mean, especially at the time, like, open world games were very different, right? Like, you had Shenmue was kind of the proto-open world game as far as what we've seen nowadays, but, um, yeah, Star Wars Bounty Hunter just felt very unique and different, and it's kind of like Shadows of the Empire, where every level was very, very, it it felt different from the one that came before it. Mm Um... I don't remember a lot of the specifics about the story, but I do remember that, like, Attack of the Clones is obviously, like, an objectively bad movie, but I still enjoy it, because I think, like, some of the characters in it are really cool, and Jango Fett's one of them, mm-hmm. and so being able to play an entire game as Jango Fett in, like, this weird fanfic story is really cool to me. Um, yeah, and, like, that's actually something that I kind of want to see them get back to, and I think that will probably happen. Um, once EA's license runs out with the Star Wars franchises, I, I feel like what's going to happen is the same thing that they're doing with Marvel, where it's like, you can pitch us, and if we like your game pitch, then we'll give you the license to make a game for. Um, and I kind of want to see that, because what we got for a long time with Star Wars was, like, we obviously had, like, the licensed spinoffs, or not spinoffs, but, like, the licensed games that were like, hey, play through the events of Episode One here as this mm-hmm. really janky Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. <laughs> But you also had little, like, they take a little tiny piece of that movie and they make an entire separate uh, experience out of it. You know, whether it was Pod Racer or, in this case, Bounty Hunter just basically took Django Fett and was like, I don't know, here's Django Fett doing Django Fett stuff. Like, that's really cool. And it's also a non-Force user. And that's really kind of hard to come by in a lot of Star Wars stories and games is a character that doesn't have the Force and doesn't have these rigid morality lanes that they stick in and, you know, has power and a lot of cool options, but they're very different from the Force or from lightsabers. Uh, Yeah, and I've always really liked Bounty Hunters and kind of the seedy underbelly of the Star Wars universe, and that was very much what Bounty Hunter was about. Feels like that's something that the Star Wars brand is is attempting to to return to. We've got... Uh, you know, Rogue One was a success by basically any metric, and we've got the Mandalorian show uh, apparently farther along than any other like hypothetical Star Wars property they're floating for a, for its own uh, series. And uh, you know, the I, I do remember a, bit, a couple of strokes from the Bounty Hunter story. I remember like it basically ended with Count Dooku pitting uh, Jango against like a number of other, like, you know, well-known bounty hunters in the galaxy. And Jango comes out on top, uh, like settles some sort of personal score with one of them. And then Dooku's like, Hey, you have proven yourself. Um, I have a proposition for you. And then that's effectively how the clone army gets started. So mm-hmm. I was like, Oh wow. Okay, cool. That is actually a really interesting way to tie in that without it feeling like too, too omnipotent or dumb. Mm-hmm. And also, Bounty Hunter, like you said, you know, it did open world really well. It was also like one of the first games to just do verticality in a level, really, oh, in yeah. like an open world, really well. I remember, like Uncharted two or three, uh, got like a lot, of, a lot of good press for like, oh, we're doing a lot of like verticality in levels, and like you can climb up more things instead of just you know on a flat plane and like crouching behind boxes. And I could, all I could think about was like. Bounty Hunter has a literal jetpack, and I think there's at least a few sequences where you have to climb like entire towers yeah. to get to a bounty. Yeah. And just like, whoa, way so way ahead of its time. Yeah, and like relying on tech, I think, is really interesting and instead of having like an all powerful, mm-hmm. omnipotent character. Um, 
Yeah, like, I, it's actually available on PlayStation 4, um, and I bought it, like, two years ago, and I, I actually, now that I'm talking about it, I want to go back and play it again. Um, You've opened up a whole new world to me, I need to <laughs> download oh, yeah. all this on Steam uh, and PS4. Yeah, Jedi Starfighter and Bounty Hunter and Super Star Wars are all on PS4, um, and yeah, a lot of Star Wars games are on Steam, uh, and GOG, I think, but I don't play on PC as much, so I wouldn't be the authority. Um... But yeah, like, I, Bounty Hunter was just such a cool little experience, and it kind of just speaks to my love of things like the Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels, where it's kind of like, hey, here's these little feeder stories that kind of mm-hmm. help build the, the lore around the whole and, like, the major stuff that you see in theaters. Uh, like, I, I really want to see more of that. Like, I, I want to see, you know, give me, like, an episodic game about DJ. Uh, you know, from The Last Jedi, or, you know, stuff that, that, like, an X-Wing game starring Poe Dameron that kind of pulls from, like, the comics could be really fun. Like, little things that kind of feed into the whole, and especially from a video yeah. game perspective, would be so cool. Um, that's why, like, I'm actually really stoked about uh, Jedi Fallen Order, because it sounds like that's kind of what that is. Yeah. And you raise a good point, too, about, like, EA has held the license basically since, gosh, when? Like, about was it Battlefront 1 or earlier than that? They've had it for several years at this point. I just, I, I, I do think that we're due for a lot more games from these smaller uh side perspectives like imagine imagine a new like rogue squadron-esque game uh from the perspective of uh what was it uh rose's uh sister who was part of the like initial bombing run in episode eight uh how how incredible would that be to see something like that character go on a personal journey and then have it culminate in the opening of episode eight and maybe you know the the games those smaller games were always pretty good about uh, you know, hey, you remember that like sort of iconic moment uh, that like a side character had in a star in a Star Wars movie? Well, here's here's a game, here's a story in a game that like lends a lot more weight to it and makes you view that scene in a much more different way that maybe not everyone in the theater uh, will. Yeah, like I think what they're doing now is actually a pretty smart approach, where all of the expanded universe stuff is just little side things that kind of help feed into the whole. Like, you could just watch all the Star Wars movies and totally understand what's happening, but it is enriched when you read novels or read the comics um, and and watch the shows and kind of actively take a part in those other little feeder bits. Um, and that's just something that I would absolutely love to see more of in video games. Um, and, like, I you, you have to imagine that Disney's looking at the success of something like Spider-Man and just being like, this is an absolute no-brainer. Like, yeah. we don't have to pay for development costs. Literally, all we have to do is just choose who we farm our license out to. Yeah. And then it'll just print money. Um, and, like, we haven't seen much of it yet, but, like, Crystal Dynamics is working on an Avengers game. Like, mm. that should be how the Star Wars license gets divvied out. And I think it would make so much sense and be so much more fun. You know, considering you list yourself as a, a wannabe X-Wing pilot, I'm really surprised that you don't have something like Rogue Squadron on your list. Tell, tell me, played them. you never know. played? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, Not even Jedi, all... Jedi Starfighter? No, I didn't like oh. those ships very much. I like X-Wing. Like, okay. X-Wings are like my favorite ship. I think they're okay. really cool, even though they're super flimsy garbage. Because, <laughs> I mean, um, like, have you, I assume you've probably played your fair share of like Battlefront either of the uh, older or the new ones yes uh i played battlefront 2 on ps2 and and like i like those space missions like i think they're fun mm-hmm. um but i i never played any star wars games on pc uh growing up um like i the only ones that i've ever played are the ones that i've played like recently which is like jedi knight uh so yeah like i just kind of missed those I uh, I think there there were examples before that uh, or before um, uh, Rogue Squadron came out, but like Rogue Squadron was maybe for a lot of people the first time they ever took down an ATAT uh, mm-hmm. with you know t- tying a rope around its legs with a snow speeder. Uh, no, that happened in Shadows of the Empire. Well, I said I I said that there were probably examples before that, but it was okay. But it, <laughs> I'm just but being it was a like I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> I'm Star Wars fans. <laughs> But no, I I, uh, I I loved and I was thrilled whenever I knocked down an ad at uh, in one of those and seeing its body explode or even like the, you know, some of them wouldn't explode and you would have to turn around and like fire at its body to make it do the one explosion from uh, uh, episode 
seven or not seven uh five mm-hmm. and that was just so cool yeah no i i like piloting ships and stuff it 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 has to have a very specific feel for me to really get into it mm-hmm. um like i i liked the space battles in battlefront one and two like the recent ones just fine but like both of those games have had some serious balancing issues where like i just I've played hours and hours of them, and I've tried to love them, and I just don't feel like it's fair. Like, there's just something about how quickly and easily you go down despite following normal shooter conventions and strategies <laughs> that really just rubs me the wrong way. And, like, the, the space combat in those is fine, but I feel like it is pretty samey. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about decent space combat... Honestly, Disney Infinity has some pretty good sequences with that. Mm, I could bet. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I just like X-Wings, and I like X-Wing pilots, because I think they're kind of <laughs> cool. They're like the weird rogues of the of the Star Wars universe, and I think they're kind of, they're pretty neat. Maybe if they, uh, if EA gives up the license and we get something new, we'll start seeing more, just like the movies, they've, they've started putting uh, battles more, like, on the ground, even X-Wing battles, like, you know, just on, on a planet, as opposed to, like, the emptiness and boringness of space. And maybe we'll get something more like that where uh, you actually have something to look at while you're uh, tying rope around an at's leg. <laughs> See, I don't think it's that so much as it's just like in Battlefront, like the newer ones, it just felt like, all right, go out and shoot at things. And yeah. just, it, it, at least in um, Shadows of the Empire, like you had, it felt a little bit more varied. Like, I think you only had like two different kinds of ammunition and like mm-hmm. that's pretty standard for a lot of these but it it felt like you were piloting a slightly larger ship and it felt like you were kind of up against the world in those battles and it, that's what made it fun um yeah i don't know i just i maybe i haven't played enough of them like that's extremely possible but i've never that's never been the main draw for me when it comes to um like star wars video games yeah but, I mean, that said, like, I would absolutely play a Rogue Squadron if it was available anywhere other than PC. Although, I, I mean, I could probably get my PC to run it. I just, I don't like playing games on computers. <laughs> I, there's like, there's like a weird thing for me where, like, I work on my computer, so it's really hard for me to just sit down and relax and have fun at my computer. Oh, I get that. I get that yeah. very much. Don't which you is, worry. Yeah, which is one of the main reasons why I don't like PC gaming, because I have a really hard time compartmentalizing those two. It, it, it's in a way like I've had days ruined by like where I've had too much work and then I don't have time to go play like Overwatch or Apex or something. And PC gaming is that, uh, but your PC just refuses to work. I had like my entire Steam library just say like, nope, you're a 32-bit computer now, which is like not a thing I have owned in six years. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> no. I, don't, I don't like troubleshooting. But yeah, uh, anything else on Star Wars? Uh, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up there. Last question for you: Star Wars Episode Nine, uh, great film or greatest film? Um, I mean, I'm when obviously we, when, it's extremely stoked for it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously extremely stoked for it, and I probably will be insufferable for a month leading up to and after it comes out. Oh, I'll be right there with you. Don't you worry. <laughs> I'll, I'll dig up my old Jedi robes I wore, like, when I was 16 and still working at McDonald's. Yes. I'm very excited to see how this trilogy is going to end, because I think it's left on a really, really interesting note. All right, folks. Well, we will wrap it up there. And thank you so much for listening to the 1099. Uh, I'm at GDC, the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, by the time you're hearing this. Uh, you know, hopefully you either got to take a break from the craziness of GDC week with this episode, or, uh, you know, please look forward to some of the smaller talks I should hopefully be posting here throughout the week. I've also got voice actress from Anthem and Gone Home, uh, Sarah Elmala. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I heard uh, uh, someone from IGN pronouncing it differently, so I have to double check on that before I talk to her. But I've got her on. She will be talking about voice acting, and also she's the uh, GameDev.World co-founder, which is uh, one of the first like global game developer conferences. Uh, you know, kind of meant to expand the inclusiveness of game developer conferences out there. And we'll be talking a lot about you know what goes into something like that and what goes into a voice acting career. So stay tuned for that. Cassidy, thank you so much. Absolutely, it's my pleasure.